Fratelloni's Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 1175, October 20, 2023. It was 83 degrees on this day in 1953. 18 degrees on this day in 1960, and I don't remember this. Three years ago on this day, eight inches of snow. Really? Uh, on October 20... 2020, hmm. 7.9 inches of I snow. That. I don't remember that. I would have been in a really crummy mood. Hail I just don't remember that. Like King. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Chris Reavers manning Technology Corner, Kenny Olson from the Krabby Coffee Shop, John Height in the newsroom, and of course, the rookie. Here is your flashlight king. Fireworks Commissioner and the Keeper of Common Sense, your mayor, Joe Sushir. You know why I wasn't here yesterday? I attended the funeral of Garage Logic's great friend, Mr. Unbelievable. That's sad. Died at the age of 70. He was the official chief mechanic at the Garage Logic gas station where it's gas only, no electric chargers. And he has gone to join his long departed. Cylinders. Wow. So I thought GLers would want to know that. Yes, Chris. Uh, your guest is ready, sir. I was, uh, before we joined the rabbi, I must say that uh, I was sent a piece written by Rabbi Michael Barkley in California. And it was such a concise and clear history of what is known as Palestine and Israel that I thought it would be interesting to have the fellow on. And uh, Rabbi, here you are, and thank you very much. Thank you very, very much for, for uh inviting me, and thank you for all the good work you guys are doing. Uh, now, you are the rabbi at uh, uh, the temple of, uh, pronounce it for me, Ner Simcha? Ner Simcha means the light of joy or the candle. In Westlake Village, California. I had not been aware of your writing before it was uh, sent to me by a listener, and I enjoyed it tremendously. And the reason I asked you on is because what I read from you, I never hear, nor did I necessarily understand. And I wonder if you could recapture that for us. I can try. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I can, but I can, I can try. Um, I, look, I, I write for PJ Media and for American Thinker and, um, and uh, among other periodicals, and I have a this synagogue here in the suburb of Los Angeles. And I think language is really important. Right. And I think honesty is extremely important um, in terms of how we act and what we do and, and taking back language um, and being clear. So, uh, you know, I wrote this piece and have been doing a lot of talking about about what's going on in Israel and Palestine and this, this whole world. And one of the challenges is that people have this connotation that Palestinians are victims and, you know, Palestine has a, a right to land and, and Israel is a, you know, the, the terms being used is Israel's an apartheid nation. Right. Just a colonization nation. Um, those are words from BLM things like that. And, you know, I think that after, I just think that we need to kind of be clear. I That's want all, to be. That's what we're striving yeah. for. We need some clarity here. Yeah. I, I, I mean, look, people are people and everyone has a right to, to, to live. And I, and I pray that everyone enjoys peace and prosperity in their 
in their homes and in their families and their lives. And, and I think that's really important. I think it's also equally important to recognize that this whole Palestine and Palestinian concept is a fallacy. It's made up. It's not real. Uh, and it's a brilliant move of marketing through the Arab world over the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, we need to basic history. And I, for years, I was a professor at Loyola Marymount University. Right. And I'm very big on, on sourcing things and, and anything I can say is easily checked out. And, and the articles that I write, I have a lot of hyperlinks and, and uh, to sources and information. You are a fact-based rabbi. I am. I'm a, well, I'm a, I'm a heart-based rabbi, actually. Right. I, 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 my life is about serving God and, and about, you know, the, the belief that, um, we should always temper our judgment with compassion and that um, we really need to take care of each other as human beings. And I'm profoundly sad by this whole war and by the whole situation. And I think one of the ways that we can resolve it is to start getting honest. All right, let's get on. There is no Palestine. All right. There has never been a Palestine. There, it it is a made up fiction. Let's just start with that basic uh, major premise Mm -hmm. and let's explain it. There is in, in that part of the world, the first kingdom is the kingdom of um, the Hebrews, uh, the, when King Saul is the, is the king. And this is roughly 3,500 years ago, 3,200 years ago, in that, in that period. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, the Hebrews come out of what at the time is called Canaan, Canaan. Right. And they go to Egypt, and they come out with Moses and all of that, and then they come in with Joshua and... They're, they go back to their land. Their land is originally from they originally from Canaan. The word Hebrew um, actually means in Ivrit in in, in Ivrim, in Hebrew it actually means those who cross over. All right. They came from one side of the river and they crossed over into the other side to Egypt and then they came back. Okay, they come back and they have this kingdom. There's no such thing as Palestine. It doesn't exist. Okay. Um, there's a tribe called Philistines, which are a nomadic tribe. They have nothing to do genetically, historically, linguistically, theologically, or in any other way with the modern Arab world. Okay? Yep. Absolutely nothing to do with any of that. So we have this kingdom. And the kingdom exists until the 6th century before the Common Era, when it is conquered by the Babylonians. Still no Palestine. All right. So they're not in the equation. They come back, the the king of Babylon allows them to come back, and they renew their kingdom, and they're ultimately conquered... Uh, by the Greeks, and they take it, so the Greeks have are in charge, there's no Palestine. The Seleucid Greeks are defeated by Hashmoneans, who become a kingdom. This is in the second century before the Common Era, and it's now again a Jewish kingdom, um, led by the Maccabees. This is the whole story of Hanukkah that happens. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no Palestine. It doesn't exist. It, the doesn't word exist. doesn't even exist, does it? Nope. Nope. No. doesn't right. exist. All right. Okay? <laughs> this is... We're going to get to the point. This is just great marketing on the Arabs' right. part, and I give them credit for that. So now you have the Hasmoneans. They're defeated by the Romans. And by the way, if you ever go to Jerusalem, you can see a beautiful light show on the uh, at the Tower of David mm-hmm. that goes through the history of Jerusalem of these many kingdoms we're going to talk about. So the Romans take over. No Palestine doesn't exist. Okay? Not doesn't exist. And this goes on throughout the centuries. Different groups come in. Different groups conquer Israel, different kingdoms conquer Israel, no Palestine, never. Remember, Muhammad isn't even born yet at this point. 
The first time you have even a Muslim kingdom is the Mamluks, which uh, control the region from the 13th through 16th century. They're a nomadic tribe that ended up being a kingdom, they, uh, and they conquer Israel. And they call it Israel. I mean, there's not other things going on. They, all this time, it's being called Israel. Okay? Yep. And now we have the Mamluks. Ultimately, that leads to they're defeated, and ultimately we get the Ottoman Empire, which takes over the world. And, again, it's called Israel. There's no Palestine. All right. In World War I, you start colloquially in, colloquially in the um, Ottoman Empire in around the mid to late 19th century, uh, with people saying, okay, we're going to also call this Palestine as a form of degradation. But you don't have Palestine until 1922. After the British defeat the Ottoman Empire, they create a British mandate, which they call Palestine. Okay, They don't want to get too involved with Jews. They know that there's been a 2,000-year prayer for us to return to Zion, return to Israel, so they call it Palestine. What does the word mean? Where does it come from? They, the British actually take it from the Bibles in terms of saying, well, it's related to Philistine. All right. Okay, and it's not, it's not even spelled the same way in Hebrew. So now we have, in 1922, the first idea that the mandate, it's still not a country, still not a nation, of Palestine. And at the same time, they make deals with the different, um, to create the different Arab kingdoms, Jordan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, which are basically one family with different cousins, by the way, the original kings. All right. Okay. So now we have the, the all these countries around and, and that they've established and the mandate of Palestine. In 1948, uh, UN Resolution 181 um, creates the nation or accepts the nation of Israel. And they also create uh, this idea of a Palestine as well, some part of Jordan. It's really just Jordan. Okay. Yep. Still is not Palestine. Still don't have a nation. Israel's attacked by Jordan, by Syria, by all these different countries. Israel keeps winning. And they're not only winning the wars, they're winning the war of public opinion. Now, everyone in, in the 50s and into the early 60s is a fan of Israel. Right. First of all, it's unpopular to say you're an anti-Semite after people realize what happened to the Holocaust and the Nazis. So they don't want to be overt anti-Semites. And everyone loves the David fighting Goliath. So yes. in... The early 60s, the United Arab Emirates hire a public relations company out of New York. Um, I forget all three partners' names. One of the partners was George Anderson. The PR company that had been founded in 1909. They're no longer in existence. But it was a big, big New York PR company. You know, it was Mad Men. And they say, look, the reason you're losing in the world of public opinion, in the court of public opinion, is because everyone cheers for David over Goliath, and you need a victim. You need to create a victim. And so in 1964, the Palestinian Liberation Organization is created. This is the first time we have this word Palestinian and Palestine. All right. Okay? Yeah. 1967, we have the Six-Day War, which in June of 67. And as in any defensive war, you keep the land that you you win. That's always that's been international law forever. And, and, and Israel keeps winning. And Israel, thank God, keeps winning. Right. And so, and they realize that, you know, it's, it's as the war, as the methods of war become faster and stronger, they realize that the country is really always in danger because it's so tiny. Moshe Dayan had said that uh, before the 67 war, the seven day war, that he could, uh, 
light a cigarette on one border of Israel and get to the opposite side of the country and the cigarette would still be lit. And that's something. That's how small it was. Mm-hmm. So in 67, they keep the Golan Heights in the north. They keep the West Bank, which is, which is Jordan, and they keep all the Sinai Peninsula. Later on, we will make a deal of uh, land for peace with Egypt that they, God they have held true to, and we give back a lot of the Sinai. But we, we take the whole Sinai in 67. So what do we have? We end up having this territory on the eastern side, eastern border of Israel, called the West Bank, populated by Jordanians. Families, their fathers, their grandfathers, their great grandfathers were Jordanians. In the southwest, we have an area called Gaza that is populated by Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Okay, the people were there. And they're on the, on the western border. This creates, a, it really is a brilliant marketing scheme. Because now they get to say that there's a territory on the west border, there's a territory in the east border, they decide that this is all, remember, we have to have a victim. We're going to call all these people who are actually Jordanians and Egyptians, we're going to call them Palestinians, and this is Palestine. Mm. And the reason this is so brilliant, in a subtle way, is because by having a territory on the far east and a territory on the far west and saying it's one country, it puts into the consciousness of people that everything in between between the river and the sea, is occupied territory. So all of Israel becomes considered occupied territory from Palestine. Because they've now said these Egyptians and Jordanians are Palestinians, this is Palestine, Gaza and the West Bank. So you see how brilliant this really really is as a marketing campaign. That's it's beginning that's to work it. as a marketing campaign. Well, it's been working for decades, unfortunately, right. because, you know, for a number of reasons, one of which is that the goal of war, I'm giving a talk on this tonight, the goal of war in Judaism is not victory, the goal of war is peace. Right. We'll always trade land for peace. Um, Golda Meir said it very beautifully, said when, you know, when the Arabs, if the Arabs put down their weapons, we would have peace tomorrow. If, God, if, they, if we put down our weapons, God forbid, we would be massacred tomorrow. Right. We will always trade land for peace. We always want peace. Throughout the Torah, Judaism doesn't seek to go to war period, and they don't go to war for profit or for land. They don't go for victory. They go only for peace. So, because, it, it, look, theologically, I, I, I respect my neighbor. I have to. Mm-hmm. He's created by God, too. Mm-hmm. So, for the last 60 years, it has become consciousness and taught in academia and taught throughout the world that, well, this is Palestine. If you look at pretty much any Arab map or globe taught in their elementary schools, there is no Israel. It doesn't exist. The definition of Palestine is from the river to the sea, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. There is no Israel. Hamas and Palestinians are not interested and never have been interested in a two-state solution. They are only interested in the destruction of Israel, and they've committed to that as opposed to peace. So we get to this situation where the world has been inculcated for 60 years into this idea that there's a legitimate Palestine. There isn't. There just isn't. Moreover, in 2005, 
Israel, because again, Israel just wants peace. Israel says to the people in Gaza, you can self-determine. Determine your own government. And so they do. And in 2007, by a vote of 90% of the Palestinians, if we're going to call them that, and I, I prefer to call them Gazans, mm-hmm. vote for Hamas. And Hamas is put in power. Hamas is not interested, if you look at their charter, they're not interested in a state. They're interested in control of the entire Middle East. They're not interested in having a two-state solution. They're not interested in anything but Israel being utterly destroyed. Let me stop you right there, because we always wrestle with this. You're explaining it somewhat, but I need help. Why are Jews hated? So let's go back in order to really answer that. Yeah. Um, I kind of have to speak a couple minutes on anti-Semitism, if that's okay. That's fine. Um, so let's go back to the idea of what anti-Semitism is. It is a hate that is not based in acquisition of anything. As an example, the Nazis did not gain anything by killing Jews. They actually lost a lot. It was a financial burden on them. Right. But there's a real hate. So why is there this hate? Let's go back to the Christian scriptures. There's no question that the early Christians were persecuted by the Jewish establishment 2,000 years ago. Not even a question. Okay, they were. Mm -hmm. This guy Jesus shows up, and he's not accepted as a Messiah, and they persecute, the Jewish establishment persecutes the early Christians. Okay? Uh, By the way, not the way it can say in the Gospel, it's not a possibility, just as an aside. Um, When when in the Christian scriptures it talks about... um, the people gather in the court, says that they, they, you know, they're going to free the thief as opposed to Jesus. That could not have happened. Uh, it's a physical impossibility All because right. it happened during the time of Passover when we don't have court. So it'd be like me saying, hey, I just beat a traffic ticket on Christmas Sunday. Mm-hmm. You look at me and say, that's not possible. Court's not open. Same right, thing. right. But much of the Gospels are written, first of all, they're written 75 to 150 years after the life of Mark, John, etc. Right. By people who knew about them. And they're written as a polemic against the Jewish establishment. Again, very understandable because the Jewish establishment did persecute the early Christians. In the 4th century, you start to have even more hatred because um, you have something called the Vulgate is created. The Vulgate is the official Catholic at that time, a Christian Bible. And there's translations in Hebrew. In Hebrew, there are no vowels, so you have to know what's being said. And when the Vulgate is translated, it has a very disturbing comment that's done consciously, because the translator does it properly in other places. In the Hebrew, it says, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and there was a glow, a ray of light shining from his head. The word for shining from the head, to do that is the word karan. The word for horns is karen. You can, see, you can see the K-R-N in, all, in both those words. And the Vulgate translates that Moses comes down and has horns. And this is why Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses has horns. You look at it. That translation from the 4th century is the official Catholic Bible until the 1970s. Hmm. Okay? Hmm. So you have now Jews have horns, and they killed God. Because if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus is God. In 1144 Norwich, England, right before Passover and Easter, a little boy is found, he's not found, he's, he's missing. 
And the local priest begins what's called the blood libel. He says that in order to produce to make matzah, they must use the blood of a Christian child. Just to understand how ridiculous that is, besides what it just seems like on its face, one of the serious prohibitions in Judaism going back to Torah is we can't have anything with blood. The reason kosher meat is so salty is because you have to salt it to get all the blood out. Okay. I'm not allowed to eat steak tartare. Right. Okay. Well, you'd be so wise not to. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I really have no desire. Um, but so, it doesn't, doesn't really appeal to me. Um, so I like my meat cooked. Me too. Uh, so you can't, so, so now, so it's, it's absolutely ludicrous, but that's what the priest does. And remember, most people can't read. They don't study that. They trust what their clergy tells them. And so now you have a world that the Jew is considered to have killed God, to have horns, and to drink blood. Okay. Making us into a demon or devil type of thing. And that, that's perpetuated for 2,000 years. I know people, and most people, most Jews do know someone, if it was not themselves, who've been asked, okay, we're friends, can you show me your horns? Okay, now, it sounds ludicrous. It'd be a hell of a trick, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, oh, no, it's, it's, you know, what, often what happens is some, you know, guys in the, in the armed forces, in the service, he's in the Army, the Marines, whatever, goes through boot camp, and some guy says to him, okay, we're buddies now, can you, uh, can you tell me, you know, you can show me, can I see your horns? Or where they were cut off. Okay. So this, this is a myth that still exists today. Oh. So there's this incredible hatred that's been inbred for 2,000 years. Moreover, you combine that with the fact that in Judaism, one of the major, um, one of the major values is that our children should be better educated than we are. We teach Talmud, we teach argumental, uh, critical thinking, we teach mathematics, things like that. That's part of our tradition. Probably a big burden for your kids, I bet, huh? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole syndrome about being a rabbi's kid. It's, I have 14 year old twins, and and, and uh, it's challenging. I will only tell you that it was easier before they had hair under their arms. But, right. <laughs> um, uh, so, so it's hard, right? They they, they learn all this. So when you get to the Middle Ages, where Jews are not, they're, they're being persecuted, they're being viewed as subhumans. Actually, let me back up a little bit. In the eighth century caliphates, um they want to be able to mark Jews, and they say Jews carry a disease. So we're going to mark them. They all have to wear a yellow star. That's where the yellow star comes from. It does not come from the Nazis. It comes as a, uh, as a mark based on health. And if that brings up parallels to show me your papers for COVID, it should, because there, there were way too many similarities. And so... We have a yellow star that's coming from the caliphate. Again, the Jews didn't accept Jesus, and they don't accept Muhammad. So now we, we, have, we have all that. In the Middle Ages, you've got educated Jews who, what can they do? They're not allowed to own land, so they become merchants. And you also have these Jews, and you see it with Shakespeare. You have these Jews who become, um, they get involved in banking, where the noblemen, doesn't he doesn't know mathematics he doesn't know language he can't collect his taxes from his serfs so he hires the jew to do that that means that the jew is now hated by the serfs because he's collecting money from the nobleman and he's hated by the nobleman because the nobleman figures he's cheating combine that along with killing god drinking blood having horns and there's all this hatred towards jews and it goes on and it keeps going on 
until we have the Holocaust. And right after the Holocaust, it's very difficult to say, okay, we still hate the Jew because it becomes clear what Hitler did and the horrors that he did. But what happens is by the time we get to the early 80s, late 80s, the anti-Semitism that has been inbred for 2,000 years but can't be expressed overtly starts being expressed as anti-Israel. Can't say I'm against Jews, but I can say against Israel because Israel is a bully. Going back to what we just learned, they're a bully because they stole Palestine. Which doesn't exist. Which never existed. But it plays with, and we never drank blood and we never had horns, but that doesn't matter. Right? Right. And we didn't kill Jesus. So, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. There's a reality that what people believe is more important than the truth in terms of how they act. And so we have this situation that starts happening in the 80s and the 90s where that inbred anti-Semitism can now be expressed as anti-Israel. Okay. Okay. Yeah. By the time you get into the 2000s, once you get to Obama's time and you start having BLM be accepted and Omar and Tlaib and these kind of people, it stops even being anti-Israel and starts becoming anti-Jew again. Mm-hmm. Without any shame, Omar making the comment, it's all for them, it's all about the Benjamins, mm-hmm. things like that. And we need to, and I bring up BLM because, it, you know, there's the phrase, I got the receipts to prove it. Mm-hmm. I was writing articles four years ago, and you can find them on PJ Media. I was writing articles four years ago that no one should be supporting BLM because in their charter, in their manifesto, they call for the destruction of Israel. They're very clear about it. Mm-hmm. And yet liberal rabbi after rabbi, after Jewish organization like the ADL, would say, oh, no, no, we want to support BLM. We don't really mean that they want Israel destroyed. Well, we found out last week they showed exactly that they've always meant that Okay. And I, I, I assume you saw the memes. If, if not, you can find them. But BLM Los Angeles and Chicago actually cheered on Hamas. You've got uh, kids in San Francisco in high schools cheering on Hamas. You've got Rashid Tlaib uh, cheering on to Hamas. You've got what? Uh, I want to take a short break here. Can you hang with us? Absolutely. I'll do whatever you, whatever you need. I really appreciate the opportunity. Be- because we're speaking with uh, Rabbi Michael Barkley of uh, in Los Angeles. But I want to tell you that. Uh, uh, EcoFund has taken snow into consideration, even though it's a gorgeous day. There's 10 Yamaha snowmobiles left in stock. They've got snow plows and snow blowers. The rabbi doesn't have to worry about that where he lives. Uh, steel, universal plows, uh, ATV, side-by-sides, two-stage snow throwers. I didn't know EcoFund went this heavily into winter, but they do. These are uh, fuel-injected side-by-sides. They're amazing. All kinds of the equipment for outdoors in the winter. And uh, right now, for pickup and delivery, they'll pick up your scooter and take it in and store it for the winter and tend the battery and do a tune-up. And Just great people. It's EcoFun Motorsports in Forest Lake. It's a 97 immediately west of 35 and in Burnsville on the service road of life near County Road 42. All right, Rabbi, thank you for that. Or, no, no, thank, thank you for you. that Can I get one of those Yamahas? Are they going to be useful? You need that like a <laughs> hole in the head. <laughs> Tell me what happened last Saturday. You mean October 7th? Yeah. Um, let's go through a little bit, a bit more. In the last nine months, Israel has given more aid to Gaza and, and loosened up more things in Gaza than in the last three years combined. And, and just to give an idea of how much 
Israel wants these people to be peaceful and prosperous. I don't know if it's still true, but I know for many years, the best-selling beer in the IDF was a Palestinian beer because they recognized that if people are making money, they don't want to go be homicide bombers. Mm-hmm. So so they, they, they opened this up. And if I start to lose it, I'm going to ask for your apologies. Your forgiveness. On October 7th, they come out of Hamas. Hamas attacks Israel. And they attack it. They don't attack Israel as a nation. They consciously go out to find the weakest civilians they can with one intention to rape so that they're dirty, um, murder, and and uh, kidnap every civilian they can. Children and women. And they paraglide into a um, into a dance party, a rave, mm-hmm. where they kidnap and kill. Um, there's a video that you can find on YouTube. Um, it's also on my Twitter feed of Noah Ben Artsy, who was one of the people who survived um, that attack on the, at that dance party. They kill someone and then rape uh, his girlfriend on his dead corpse. They go and kidnap children and babies and old people. And they go out with with one specific intention, which is to attack the weak and kill them, take them hostage. This is crazier than they've ever acted, is it not? So, look, I, I live from the place of theology. I, my, my faith and, and our text, this is where I go to for my answers. And the two teachings that I've been repeating and repeating and repeating, sending, I, I, I do two to three emails a day to our community. I, I've written a dozen articles for PJ, human events and different things like that. Um, the, the Bible, our, our, our Hebrew scriptures are... Um, filled with forgiveness. Maimonides, who was a great rabbi and philosopher a thousand years ago, said if, if you find hate or anger in the, in the Bible, it's you, it's not God. You're bringing it to the table. That, in fact, the Torah is filled with love and forgiveness. And we, we consistently find that everyone is forgiven. David does some horrible, King David does some really horrible, horrible things. If he's forgiven. Mm-hmm. There's one exception. And this exception is mentioned a few times. It says that God will always be at war with Amalek, that we are to be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. We are to destroy Amalek and blot it off the earth. And it's kind of a weird phrase because why? It doesn't say the children of Amalek. It doesn't say the descendants of Amalek. So it's not about the genetics. It says Amalek. And this is so important that King Saul, the reason he loses his kingship and is deposed is because he doesn't kill all the Amalekites when he's commanded to. And he actually says, in the Midrash we're taught that he actually says, why should the young be punished for the deeds of the old? And because he doesn't kill them all, um, he actually loses his kingship. 
profits and it away. So we got to kind of look at, well, wait a minute, what's this Amalek thing? And so our sages talk about this. There's a fabulous book by Rabbi Elijah Shochet called Amalek, the Enemy Within, that really goes into this. I think it's about 30 years old. And the idea is that Amalek... What's Amalek? Amalek is the king of a, of a nation, of a, of a tribe. All right. During when Moses is getting out of Egypt, when they're crossing during that 40 years. Because, you know, if you, if, you give, if you just don't give us directions, we'll just keep wandering forever. Right. So, <laughs> you know, we, we wandered 40 years to find the only land in the region without oil. Right. Um, so, <laughs> we, we, so Amalek is the, is the one tribe that Amalek chooses to attack the Hebrews from behind. Um, where the weak, the children, the young, the defenseless are. And the idea is that that kind of perpetrator has crossed a line that cannot be forgiven. That that kind of perpetrator is so evil they have surrendered their human souls to something less. And that when we find that, we are to destroy it. Now, internally, that would mean like an addiction. Okay? An addiction preys upon the weak part of our souls. And so you don't give an alcoholic one drink, you cut it out entirely. Right? You don't give a heroin addict one snort, you cut it out entirely. Externally, occasionally, sadly, there are people, there are, are cultures, there are organizations that are modern omelets, where it's, it's not as an act of war that innocent civilians get killed, but actually it's their intent is to attack first, like omelet in biblical times, the weak, the defenseless, the children. And that's what happened. If you had asked me a month ago what should be done with Hamas, I would say to you that we should do everything we can to arrange peace, to figure out a peace that can work. What do you say today? <laughs> they have to be able to destroy. They have to be entirely destroyed. Mm-hmm. And the pain that that, I cannot relate to you, the pain that gives me, that we need to destroy. Because there's not a Hamas soldier that was born this way. They came out of the womb as babies with pure souls. And they have surrendered those souls to evil. There is evil in the world that I, I think that gets forgotten. This is, this is our definition of the unforgivable evil. And, and there's a piece that we need to remember in this. There's a midrash with over 2,000-year-old teaching that says that when the Hebrews were getting out of Egypt and Pharaoh's soldiers were drowned in the Sea of Reeds, that the angels started to rejoice, and God, through his tears, stopped them and said, the work of my hands is being destroyed, and you want to sing hymns? Mm-hmm. And teaching this is, we cannot let hate or anger enter our hearts. We cannot take any joy in this. Because if we do, we've lost a bigger war, which is the war for our own souls. We've become nothing better than them. And it, it is a profound and deep pain that we have to kill these guys. Yep. And there is no joy in that. And you... There's no joy. <laughs> As you look out over the coming weeks, what do you see? Um, I see Israel that is unified. I see Israel that is very concerned about the world because 
you know, it's a very tiny country. It's a very tiny armed forces. And when you have too many fronts, it becomes more and more difficult. Look, we could end this war in two weeks without one Israeli casualty. Okay? Yep. Let's be clear. We could carpet bomb Gaza. And it would, Hamas would be gone. Right. We could cut off all water, food, electricity, and supplies to Gaza. Two weeks, done. Instead, because of our commitment to ethical behavior, our commitment to life, and that we, we go in, and it takes five Israeli soldiers to clear one house. It takes a platoon to clear a building. Mm-hmm. We put our lives on the line to save civilians who are being used as shields by Hamas. It's a great statement and a profoundly sad one that Israel uses the IDF to protect its civilians. Hamas uses its civilians to protect Hamas. And and they're comfortable with that because they don't care. It makes no difference. And, and it is, you know, Instead of doing this the easy way and saving Israeli lives, Israel and Judaism value all lives. And so we don't do that. We don't, we don't go in and do what most nations would do, which is just carpet bomb it, get done. Be done with it and not risk any of our people. Instead, we, every Israeli soldier is at risk going in and trying to save people that they don't know and that want them dead. Right. And so, you know, I, I hope this will be over sooner than later. I'm concerned. I hope it will be. Um, because we're going to go in and try and do this and save every single life. In Judaism, we believe that to save a life is the greatest thing you can do. It, because you're saving a world. Because you're saving all of the descendants of that life as well. And so the IDF will go in and they will uh, risk their lives every moment to save the lives of people who want them dead. And hopefully it'll be relatively quick. One of my big concerns is what is going on in the world outside of that region. Um, you look at Tlaib leading a quote-unquote demonstration mm-hmm. that takes over the Capitol building. I'm sorry, I thought it would tell something else on January 6th. Um, that have taken, you know, take over and, and are yelling and screaming, you, you Hamas misfires a rocket. There is absolute proof. Even Elon Omar admits that it was Hamas that fired the rocket. Even she came out, I think, last night and admitted that. And we knew from day from the moment that it happened that it was fired from a cemetery and landed in a parking lot. And yet, minutes after it happened, and the IDF has and they've shown it now. They've released it. Audio of Hamas. Uh, commanders talking to each other, saying, "Uh-oh, we just shot ourselves. We know we right. landed in the, you know." And but they immediately release that Israel attacked and killed 500 wounded in the hospital, um, which is so ludicrous. I mean, just on a simple level, it takes days to figure out how many people died from October 7th, and yet in two minutes they know exactly how many. People died in the hospital. Why would American progressives be so eager to take up the side of Hamas? Well, it's, it's ironic because, you know, you have these LGB alphabet 
um, they wouldn't last two minutes there. No, they'd be killed. Yeah. <laughs> but what 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 has been done is very it's very much modeled after what was done in Nazi Germany in the 30s. People don't realize that Hitler got to power um, by bringing together coalitions of minority groups that ultimately most of them he ended up destroying. There were a couple hundred thousand Jews who supported Hitler originally. And put, brought together these groups that felt disenfranchised and said, see, that the, the government uh, is the, the big bad people. And, and that's what they're doing again here. Um, and it's been used successfully with BLM. It's been used successfully in, you know, in many different ways in the last... It's being years. used successfully in uh, the university system. It's, it's horrible. There was a professor who released a video, I think, yesterday. Professor Columbia, I don't know if you saw it, it's actually... I did. Uh, on my Twitter. Yeah, it's very powerful that you can't send your kid to a college right now. It, it can't be kept safe. You wouldn't have a KKK group, but you have all these pro-Hamas terrorist groups mm-hmm. on college campuses. And it's it's not safe. And, and you know, it, it is... It's scary. It's... Um, it's very, very concerning because we're on the edge of another Holocaust. Um, it is, and it's not, these are people who, it's not just Jews that they want to destroy and not just Israel. They want to destroy the United States. And let's be clear on that. Mm-hmm. And they want to destroy the values of the United States and they want to destroy the, the process of the United States. And it's we'll, it's something we've discussed on this show for years. I call it the mystery, the attempt to bring about a country that is not the United States and it's happening right before our very eyes. And, and it's happening in, in ways that are insidious. I, you know, I have a lot of anger um, on a personal level for a lot of politicians. And, and just, you know, I keep politics entirely off the pulpit. I, I do a lot, as you know, a lot of writing. I do a lot of speaking um, that, has, that it has to do with politics and spirituality. I do not talk politics from my pulpit at all. Won't do it. I, I don't think that's my place. I think... My place as a congregational rabbi from the pulpit is to help people deepen their awareness of their relationship with God through the Jewish pathway. And so I don't talk politics. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that uh, many Jewish organizations do and have given up their Jewishness to support leftist causes, the ADL being a prime example. Um, you know, the Anti-Defamation League mm-hmm. which used to be part of B'nai B'rith. It's a hundred-year-old organization. 2009, they broke off from B'nai B'rith. In 2014-15, they hired Jonathan Greenblatt as the head of their organization, who's a former Obama uh, staff person. And he starts partnering the ADL, which its mission was to protect Jews in a legal way from abuses. And he changes the motto to, um, we fight hate for good. Partners with people like Al Sharpton and BLM raises tons of money for himself, for ADL, for BLM together, and uh, just justifies it. You know, he, he justifies, well, this is a Jewish cause. Well, no, it's not. BLM wants Israel to destroy it. And it is, and, and, and are you familiar with Horst Vessel? Do, are, do you know who that was? No. So this is, this is a great piece of history, and it's a, it's, it's a very telling one. In the early 30s, I don't know the exact year. I want to say somewhere around 33, 34, something like that. But in the early 30s, uh, there is a Nazi named Horst Vessel. This is before Nazi 
who taken over the nation. And he's a pimp and a drug dealer. He's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's not paying his rent to his landlady. So his landlady, who's a widow, goes to friends of her deceased husbands who are communists. And she says, go collect the rent. And they go collect the rent by beating him, and he dies in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Horrible tragedy, horrible story. Bad guy, but horrible story. Hitler and Himmler are ecstatic because they now have a martyr. Mm-hmm. And so they use Horst Vessel to mobilize people to have, and this is their phrase, peaceful demonstrations. Mm-hmm. And it becomes the Brown Shirt Riots. George Floyd is directly modeled and copied after that incident. Sorry George Floyd died, no one should die, but the guy was a bad guy, let's be honest. And they use it's used the exact same way Hitler did. In, in in literally verbatim. This is how the country has been shifting and buying into it and instead of standing up and saying, wait a minute, yes, this is wrong but you don't get to go riot. You don't get to burn down Portland. You don't get to burn cities. You don't get to loot. Instead of doing that, um, the world becomes fans of BLM and Patricia Colders buys six houses, six mansions, and, uh, and we see our country changing in, in a really scary way. And, you know, there's a, there's a truth. Mark Twain said it 150 years ago. He said, um, the white man hates the black man, the black man hates the yellow man, the yellow man hates the red man, but everybody hates the Jew. And it's pretty consistent throughout history because of the anti-Semitism that's so ingrained and discussed. It's pretty consistent that when there's a problem, it's going to ultimately be blamed on the Jew. Sir, might we remain in touch with you in the coming months and weeks? I would be honored. And I'm here anytime, and I really appreciate the work you're doing and anything I can help with. Um, you can, uh, you can, most of the articles I write at this point are also posted on Twitter, yep. which is rabbi underscore Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y. Right. I also, I also want to, um, if I may make a plug for something. Yes. That I think is important. People ask, what can they do? And there's a lot of, um, organizations, a lot of good things that are being done. There's also, if I'm honest, there's people who are taking advantage like they do of any situation like this for their own benefits. Um, there is a hospital in Haifa called uh, B'nai Zion. They are, they just finished recently building a $20 million facility that is under a bunker that is actually nuclear proof. All right. And they need equipment and uh, they need anesthetic devices and electric beds and, you know, all this kind of stuff because they're taking many of the civilians from the south and as conflict heats up in the north, which it has, and God forbid, but it will probably heat up more with Hezbollah. They um, they will be taking, they'll be one of the main facilities taking those. You can go to healthcareforisrael.org. That's healthcarefor, spelled out, F-O-R, Israel.org. And any donation you make makes a difference. We put this out a week ago to our community, and then Sebastian Gorka put it on his radio show and on his TV show. And as of the other day, there's been $177,000 that has, has gone to the hospital and they've bought medical equipment and it's a way to, to immediately save lives, hundreds of lives now and thousands over the course of the next years. It's a way of um, 
you know, you don't necessarily want to be supporting a war effort. You're not comfortable with that. This is supporting healing. So I, I really want to recommend people go to healthcareforisrael.org. They can find what I'm writing and find what I'm doing on Twitter as Rabbi underscore Barclay, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y. And I'm here for anything you guys need. I really appreciate the good work you're doing. I really, really do. We'll be in touch. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. And I'll I? make all of that available at the Garage Logic show page for today. All right, Rabbi. I got a guy who works with us. Okay. Uh, he's yes. a little bit of a loose cannon, and uh, he, he has to tell you something. I just want to give you, I'm sure you have the crowd whenever you're speaking, but if you're going to, you know, if you want to loosen up the crowd a little bit. I bet bit, he knows this, at by a the way. Bar or bat mitzvah? Yeah. Uh, what kind of, you <laughs> mentioned beer earlier, what kind of beer did they drink in the Holy Land way back? What kind? Hebrew. Okay, I, now I have to leave you with one other story. Okay, okay wait, one more, one more. <laughs> what, what did the what did the fat people drink? What do they drink? Israel light. <laughs> See, all right. I'm sorry, I warned, you, sir, I warned you, sir. I warned you. Relationship is now right, soured, rookie. Yes. yes. Here's your story that you can share with everyone when they really want to understand Palestine. All right. Okay. Yep. The United Nations ambassador, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, is about to give a speech, and he says, "Before I give my speech." I would like to tell a story. Because thousands of years ago, Moses came into the Holy Land and he bathed in the Jordan. And when he got out of the bath, out of the Jordan, his clothes had been stolen by a Palestinian. Oh. Immediately, the Palestinian ambassador jumps up and says, that's absurd, it's a blatant lie. We were not even in the area in that time. And the Israeli ambassador goes, great, now that we've established that, I'd like to give my speech. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Thank you, guys, and God bless you all. In the all right. Thank, thank you, all. Rabbi thank you. Michael Barkley. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> wow. How that brain is working overtime, huh? That was a uh, that was a history lesson. The uh, let's just come back to the Turkey Awards. Okay. I know it's not much of a segue. Is that's it? okay. But the center of the American experiment has their Golden Turkey Awards at this time Hamas of year. Hamas wins. Right. Yeah. Minnesota government wastes a lot of money on stupid things, and each year the center of the American experiment gives out the Golden Turkey Award to the best one. They're now accepting nominations. Okay. Mine's the surplus. They squandered $18 yes. billion. Dollars. Yep. If you have an example of ridiculous spending, go to americanexperiment.org slash golden turkey. The Center of the American Experiment will be... He should check their website every day, by the way. The Center of the American Experiment will be naming the finalists on October 30. And the winner of the 2024 Golden Turkey Awards will be announced on November 22nd. Right here mm -hmm. on Garage Logic. So if you have an example of this ridiculous spending in Minnesota government, go to americanexperiment.org slash golden turkey, one word. EscapeWithUsVacations.com. What a treasure of a website. Folks, if you are going uh, to plan a trip, huh? I suggest you don't use me as a spokesman. Um, <laughs> if, if you are planning a trip, any type of vacation, use a travel agent. Specifically, use Teresa or Maria over at Escape With Us Vacations. They are, Maria's off to Greece right now. She's, she, they go everywhere. And you know what? They're taking a wonderful group to Croatia. EscapeWithUsVacations.com. I just had a couple people email me. A lot of people like to email me. 
Um, and you can get all the information at escapewithusvacations.com. They just emailed and said, "Are there is there still room on that second boat? Yes, there is, but they're filling up. This is next year in July. This ain't a canoe either, is it? This a lot is, of people like the canoe. This is a real boat. This is a real boat. Uh, 18 uh, staterooms, and yeah. the other one is 15. So get the pricing, get the uh, the lineup, get all of the dope at escapewithusvacations.com. Teresa and Maria have been on this trip before, so they know exactly what to do and, more importantly, what not to do so they're not wasting your time. Escapewithusvacations.com. Next year, an eight-day cruise from Split to Dubrovnik, July of 2024, escapewithusvacations.com. Now. Twisted her up. Were you trying to hear the song? Yeah. I think you're going to do something. After. Patrick's. The Earth is not your mother. Jesus. The Joe Suchere Show. <laughs> what? Yes, sir. Hey, Pat. You know he was in a hurry when he's already twisted his shoes up. <laughs> when he's already tightened his shoes, look out. It's nice go time, Patrick. Cranked him up, baby. Those I shoes make him run faster. Cranked him up. <laughs> That's right. That's a hell of a day for it, baby. If I still golfed, I'd be golfing today, too. Uh, be a hell of a day if the Twins had a home game tonight, no wouldn't kidding. it? Or today. Yeah, it would. It would have worked yeah. out fine. It yeah. would have worked out fine. Uh, Houston is... Uh, Houston is uh, kind of showing off their muscles. Uh, what a weird series! All four road, all four games won by the road teams. Yeah, uh, you know, teams, all, uh, if Pat all over sports, uh, the home field thing that that horse left the barn a long time ago. Yeah, a while ago it didn't. You know, the, luckily for us, it didn't leave the barn when the Twins were playing in World Series. <laughs> That's right, ninety-one. Right. But, and it might be a little bit of an edge in Philadelphia, but I believe it is the way these athletes are trained. They're, you know, they're at 11 years old. They are going to showcases around the country and playing, and they're not, they're not intimidated by, no. uh, you know, not being in the home environs. I don't think, and they just Houston just really turned it around, didn't they? Holy Ooh. mackerel! And they started hitting. Well, Texas has had thin pitching, and uh, it, it has displayed itself. Now, uh, that'll be a heck of a game today with uh, Verlander against uh, who's the, the, the Verlander uh, pitching against who's the who's pitching for Texas? They're good. They're good guy is pitching. For is Texas. it Montgomery tonight? Montgomery, the guy who's been uh, crazy. I think that's an afternoon. Is that, I think that's the four o'clock game. Yeah, Ooh. that's the four o'clock game. But uh, Texas is. Uh, Got pretty quiet in there after Abreu hit that uh, three-run homer and hit it up in the second deck, which we only saw twice here right. when he was against the uh, Fighting Twinks. So, uh, yeah, boy, he was—you know—he was in a coma for five months, basically, did nothing. They hung with him, and he ended up driving in 28 runs in September for them, and got in a hot just in time for the uh, the playoffs. Speaking of that home field advantage, gentlemen, on this day in 1991, and a hit to left by Gant, and Lonnie's trying. They're going to get him, perhaps. He's safe, and now Gant gets back to first, and he's out. That one can't held him. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag. <laughs> pulled him off. He had him under his arm like a loaf of bread. I could watch that play a hundred times every day. Yeah. Uh, well, Tom Kelly always said, sure slid. <laughs> 
I love the account because I follow this guy, Pat. I'm sure I think you do too. The twin zealot. He says, on this day in 1991, Ron Gantz, poor base running benefits the Minnesota Twins. (laughs) (laughs) That might have been one of the five worst calls. It's uh, incredible, and the guy was so damn enthusiastic about calling him out. He had no apprehension apprehension about the the dreaded her back leg lift. It was one of his favorite wrestlers. And if Pat Corrales, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Amazing that these, you know, he was a Baron Ben Rashi big fan. Amazing he didn't throw him off the base and then put the claw. But, Pat, if you watch the clip, Pat Corrales, who was the Braves' first base coach, if he doesn't grab Ron Gant, Ron Gant might have killed the first base umpire. Oh, It is. It was the damnedest thing. And as Herbie said, Mrs. Herbeck was, Tito was in the in his room under his name at the, at the Atlanta Hotel when they flew down there. And they, she got death threats. They... They threatened to kill my bleeping mother with her. (laughs) (laughs) Can I turn to ice hockey for a moment? Yeah. I know it's only game five, but a 7-3 shellacking at home by the King is unnerving. I'm wondering. They they cannot be bringing the flower back, back to back. If you get a good game out of flowers, celebrate it, and then play the other guy for the next two games. This this has got to be a season when uh, uh, the goose goosey plays yep. uh, uh, fifty five games and the other guy plays twenty five games or something yep. like that. So the flower should just get broken out you- once in a while. But I, I, everybody thinks that they're trying to get him six wins. So he can become second all time. Well, that's his problem, not yours. You gotta, you know. Well, if he plays twenty five games, you'll get six wins. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying too. Yeah, it's like they're in a hurry to get him for him. Yeah, he let's not well worry about it. Yeah, he yeah. played well in Montreal. Why bring him back? I, I don't. I don't. Here, I thought him. we were going to get the Patrick Royce advice of got to tighten her up on your own end. No, that's that's <laughs> unnerving to <laughs> well, lose to the King. Two, uh, there were two empties there at the end. Yeah, Everson uh, like, but Everson was very upset about the goal that he thought was kicked in. Right. And, uh, that that was the uh, diatribe after the game. Uh, everyone who was at the game and witnessed it said Flower should have caught it either should have stopped it either way, whether it was uh, kicked or shot or what what it came off a stick or whatever it was. He was he was not good. He looked uh, he looked thirty nine years old, I guess. Last night. Gophers at Iowa, you predict a, uh, I don't know what you predict, but it's unusual. I, I predict a Gophers 5-3 to three win. Yeah, 5-3. to three. Uh, <laughs> The over uh, the and under, which started at historically low 32.5, this morning was at 30.5. Oh, it's my. Pe- people are betting the under <laughs> when the over and under is 32.5. I don't know if they're doing it to be funny, but the over and under, lowest, ever since they started keeping track in 86 or something like that in Division One football. So Did you see Michigan stealing our signs, Patrick? That's why That's why we lost by 42. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, Michigan stealing our signs. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, it, it could have been 
I wouldn't have been surprised if Michigan wasn't cheating if the score would have been just the opposite. The Gophers might have beaten them 52 to See? Say, you had your birthday this week. Usually we're on the air when you have a birthday. (laughs) I did have the birthday uh, uh, of a crisp 78 years old. I got a free meal out of... uh, out of uh, my son Jim, who was here at Murray's, that had to cost him some money. Yep. And then, uh, and then uh, yesterday, I got a free meal at uh, McCormick and Shits from my. <laughs> no, that's what you had after. Shits. <laughs> I clearly said Shits. There was no other way, which is outstanding, by the way. McCormick and Schmitz. I know, but it's and awesome. I got a free meal out of uh, my stepson Ryan and his family, too, and grandkids. And so I, I've been eating free here. This well, that's that's, that's fantastic. That's, that is, well, I hope you don't yeah. get the Schmitz. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, the Atlantic. I, I, you know, Ricky, these, it, it, at these times, when you're this age, you hope to get the Schmitz. <laughs> Uh, the Atlantic Journal uh, did the yes. countdown of the top 12 villains in Atlanta sports history. Yes. Herbeck came in at number five. Wow. Oh, really? Yes. yes. Who was number one? I don't have the list. Later. That's pretty good. Oh, 42, uh, 32 years later, that's pretty good. They call good. it the infamous T-Rex tug. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you like the Vikings chances Monday? Nope. I well, it depends if the if the left tackle who's great and the two running backs don't play. I like the Vikes. Okay, if, if they have their full squad, uh, then I don't like the Vikes. The Vikes, uh, you know, it's amazing. We we complain about the offensive line, and this Darisau and O'Neill are now rated as the best pair of tackles in the league. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, San Francisco's got. Of a tremendous defense, so that that could be a low-scoring game too if if they don't have their offensive weapons. Because I know we have some Iowa State uh, fans out there, but this quarterback vastly overrated. He, he he had a miraculous season last year after he became the starter, Brock Purdy, but he is a very limited athletically, and he looked terrible uh, Sunday. So. Uh, May I uh, kind of pressure on him? May I put in another word for my insistence that the NFL teams have too many coaches? Uh, example, uh, most current example would be what last night wasn't. There, I didn't watch the game, but wasn't there some screw up in the uh, New Orleans Jacksonville game? In what sense? Uh, missed a play on fourth down or some stupid thing. But I imagine twenty coaches yelling at the quarterback. Yeah, and not enough. Yeah, we've had a few of those this year. Okay, but how about the Giants at Buffalo? Wasn't that Monday night? Sunday night. Sunday yeah. night. Complete folly of clock management. Uh, fourth and goal. They ran out of time, yeah. and I'm convinced 15 of the 22 coaches were yelling something in the guy's ear. Yep. There's well, too many here, coaches. Here's what happened. Tyrod Taylor was giving a play, which is generally an option play, but he was supposed to throw it, right? Yeah. Supposedly. And he decided to go to the run option. And the guy got stopped at the half yard line, and the clock ran out. 
And the chubby coach, whatever his name is. Brian Dayball. Dayball. He was reaming the offensive coordinator as they left the field. He was screaming. I saw it. I'm telling you, there's too many coaches. Too many coaches. But why get fancy if you're going to, you know, hey, Tyrod, Tyrod, you're an athlete. Roll out, and if you see somebody open, throw it to him for a touchdown. The answer is... Too many coaches. There were too many opinions being offered. That's right. They're done. That's it. They're killing themselves. It's ridiculous. Hey, I uh, got an idea. Yeah. I got an idea. Let's go to the twenty-five second clock instead of the forty-second clock, and don't let these yahoos spend so much time trying to figure out what the next play is going to be. Just go. All right. Go. I'll talk to you Monday. That'll be outstanding. We'll, we'll preview the game with the uh, 49ers. We'll I hope you get a, it down. I hope you get a nice belated birthday meal. Uh, yeah. He just I, uh, told you we had two. Oh, he's got room for more. I've been doing okay. I've been doing okay. Yeah. Been doing okay. All, right. All right. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. That Shay. was McCormick and Schmick's right. is the name yes. of that restaurant. Right. Mueller Memorial is a family-owned They've been serving families for more than 75 years with three generations. I've known these people all my life. I know Scott Mueller very well. He's a friend of mine. I don't like when he takes my pulse when he shakes my hand. <laughs> but uh, he's going to make that. He's going to make your ceremony as light as that. He's uh, he knows how to. What's the word I want, Rook? He knows how to. Uh, he knows how to ease the burden of the moment, yeah. and he's going to turn. What's a somber occasion? Uh, it can remain somber, but it will be a celebration of a life well lived. I'm getting emails from people who have experienced the uh, care they've had with Mueller Memorial, and it's absolutely fantastic. They have a bar if you need it at the White Bear location. You know, which yep. nothing wrong with yep. going out with an old fashioned. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My mother made it to 92 smoking and drinking old fashions. How do you oh. like that? So they had the old-fashioned bar. Glad I don't smoke, That's but I'm right. on my way. That's right. <laughs> As I say, I've uh, I've known the Mueller's for years. They've helped me take care of both my parents. They'll help you take care of yours. They take care of the difficult details, so you can spend time with your family. Get a hold of them. At, get a hold of them at MuellerMemorial.com. Okay. Moses said, I've got a new hearing aid. No. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting yes. through the nuts and bolts of what life. What kind is it? Joe <laughs> About 2.30. Hofferman Water is an independent water treatment dealer, and they've been somewhat proud sponsors of the Garage Logic podcast. They regret for this moment. A number yeah. of years Sorry, now. And uh, you know what water. they do? <clears throat> they offer sales, service, and rental options for Connecticut water treatment systems. And that's the best of the business. The top of the line. The best of the best. Where you can brew Hebrew light at yes, home. Please. Um, they have a number of systems to take care of you and your family's water needs. Water softeners, iron rust, and odor filtration systems, and of course, drinking water systems. Here's the first step. Get on the schedule and have someone come out for that free water analysis today. 952-894-4040 is the phone number. You can also visit their website, which is hoffermanwater.com. You get on that schedule, have somebody come out and check that water inside of your home. 
It's made an amazing difference in the quality of, of my water inside my home, and I know they'll do good for you, too. Hofferman Water has been proudly serving the state of Minnesota for over 50 years. Please tell them you heard about them here on the Garage Logic podcast. I do not want to wait until next week to play this. I've enjoyed it so much. I want you to hear it. The conservative political leader in Canada is a guy named Pierre Polyavere. And I looked him up. Uh, interesting guy. He's in his 40s, married, two kids. He is uh, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he is leading the opposition to Trudeau. And he's, uh, I can find nothing in his background to suggest anything except competence. Uh, it's a long, long uh, biography of him, but you can read it yourself. It's Pierre Polyavere, P O I L. P-O-I-L. I-E. I-E. V-R-E. Okay. S- say that for me. Poliv. Poliv. Turn it over for me. Poliv. Uh, Pierre. It's V-R-E, right? Pierre. Pierre. Poliver. Poliver. And he was born in, uh, I think, Calgary. And uh, he's had a number of jobs. He's not a careerist, although he's been in politics for, for some time. And he's running against Trudeau. And... He was uh, he encountered an interview with a fellow named Don Urquhart, who was the uh, editor of the Times Chronicle in Canada. And the Times Chronicle is it's a publication. It looks it looks like it's a daily publication. I couldn't find where it appears in print, but it's got a very prominent website. And this has gone viral, as they say, viral. in the world of instantaneous media, which should tell you something, that something this refreshing is being treated by news gathering institution as uh, appalling. Uh, It's being offered, most news sites are offering it as, how dare this this apple-munching conservative leader treat this liberal reporter like this. That's kind of the taste I'm getting from it. But it's also gone viral with it's people also praising being, yeah, it. It's also being celebrated, Yeah, too. celebrating it. But So here's this, uh, here's Pierre Polyver. I don't know where he was, Winnipeg or something. And, oh, he's in British Columbia. He was in British Columbia. And this, uh, and like all politicians do, he's... He's uh, at a he's at an orchard or something. He's having an apple, mm-hmm. and this guy named Don Urquhart tries to do the gotcha moment. It's a pentacon. It's pentic pentacton, British Columbia, and uh, while interviewing Urquhart, confronted the conservative leader on people's impressions that he is a populist who plays on people's emotions, much like former President Donald Trump did in the U.S. And I want you to see how Polyavere handles this uh, failed Academy fruitcake interviewing him. Um, on the on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly, you, certainly, you tap, certainly you tap certainly you tap very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that. Right wing, they, you know. I mean, it's that that type I of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. But anyways, a lot I of people don't pe- really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that? 
well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. I, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the, point of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should, why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know... Not not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but what are you also talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms that. Of, in terms of tur- turning things quite dramatically in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this. I mean, you 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 make quite a you know it's it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm I'm not just sure. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. common sense for, for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst infl- inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. Well, that, that That's perfect. Can he run for president in this uh, country? I hope he gets elected in Canada. All my reading of him suggests he's a pretty nifty guy. And what the, I the think, way he squints about really what 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 page? Give me the page, yeah. right? What, and so it sounds to me like what he encountered in this Urquhart is uh, well, a, a totally unprepared uh, Times Chronicle editor, whatever the hell that is, and and what what that fellow was representing was the astonishment that some conservative would actually be running for anything, that conservatism has become. A bad word. Right. Conservatism is a dirty word. And, and if they want to blame Trump, that's really ridiculous because Trump's not a conservative. He's a psychopath, right. but he's not a conservative. There's no cons- there's not a conservative bone in his body. He doesn't even know what it means. This isn't about Trump. No, but that, but like but see what 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 happened is that Trump leaks into Canada. Oh, you're like a Trump guy. You're like a Trump oh, guy. Because you, yeah. you're, you know, you have and, and and this guy is calmly sitting there munching on an apple, and he just shatters this guy. There's, this guy had nothing to stand on, nothing to stand. Listen once more and listen for certain phrases. When you have to use the phrase sort of, you're dealing with a failed academy, sort of. It drives me crazy. What does sort of mean? But listen to that. You'll hear it on, on every CNN commentator right. uses the term sort of. Listen to this again. This is a newspaper editor in Canada talking to uh, the conservative leading opposition to Justin Trudeau. Um, on, the, on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, sort of. you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, do you mean by certainly, that? you Give certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? 
uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing. They, you know, I mean, it's that that type I of ideological thing. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I of people don't pe- really believe in that. Okay, a lot of people would would say but that you're Belichick. simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, well, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but. Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. I, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the, point of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should, why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know, not, not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's what? book, but also... <laughs> what are you also, talking about? What, what page? are you talking page? about? Give me the page. Give me the page. You keep in, saying in terms, that. in terms of ter- turning things quite dramatically, in terms of of Trudeau and and the left wing and all of this, I mean, you 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 make quite a you know it's it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm I'm not just sure. I don't under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. Common sense for for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. I I hope that I hope a lot of people see that. A lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people like to see it. And I I hope this guy wins. Based on just that, I hope he wins. Well, how can any Canadian, any sound-minded Canadian after what they've experienced the last 5 years, how can they possibly cast a vote for Trudeau? It's already got two and a half million views on Twitter. It's, After, it's way more than that <laughs> currently, because that story that story is uh, I think from yesterday. It's just it's just amazing. It's that, very refreshing. It's a very refreshing and a ray of hope, and uh, I think it's fantastic. Are you looking for something to do tonight? A lot yeah. of people like to be refreshed. We're having sloppy joes for dinner. Oh well, boy, get this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people like Sloppy Joe's. Uh, Steve Anderson's playing at the uh, hmm. Commodore, Commodore tonight. Well, listen. Oh, that's right. Johnny was going to go, but he was, he's out of town. Uh, I think it's called uh, News on the Hill. He was there last night. He's there tonight. Uh, it's his sixth Cathedral Hill concert series, and he's releasing his new CD, Retrospect, The Art of Solo Piano. 7 p.m. tonight at the Commodore. Doors open at 6 p.m. Cash Bar. Uh, he's going to have Jillian Gubash with him and Jack Cassidy tonight. Jack Cassidy tonight. And he, he also tells me that for his Christmas concerts... At the cathedral this year, he's going to be joined by Pat Donahue, the guitar player, okay. who happens to be happens to be my cousin. Yeah, what's up, cousin? And uh, I, I think uh, I, I got to check. I wonder what we're doing tonight. I would, I would love to go there. Uh, autumn leaves, a little autumn leaves from Stephen C. Anderson tonight at the Commodore, and uh, he's having Pat Donahue join him for Christmas. He's the official pianist of. Garage logic, Greatly yes, so. sir. And uh, I love giving him a 
uh, a, a head. I love giving people a heads up when he's around. Those Christmas uh, shows are December 7 and 8. He wants to know if he and Pat can come in the studio. Wouldn't that didn't jam with John? For sure. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. Uh, we'll make that happen. We'll make that happen. Right after we hear Rookie. Tell us about our friends at Minnesota Missing. Yes, I'd love to do that. We've got we're on a uh, a kick here of, of famous uh, Freemasons, and I'll tell you what right now. What they have at Minnesota Masonic Charities, they have a wonderful, wonderful setup. And all you have to do is go to their website and check it all out. They've got absolutely. They help everybody. They help the elderly. They help the children. They help uh, students with scholarships. It's a fantastic deal, and you know you can be part of it. How? Well, just by going to check out their website. They love to be known for their Masonic Children's Hospital, the Masonic Cancer Center, the Masonic Institute for the Developing Brain, caring for the elders at their beautiful, beautiful place in Bloomington, and again, the scholarships for Minnesota students, plus the kids, unlocking communication for thousands of Minnesota children struggling to find their voice. And again, the list just keeps going on. Some of the famous Minnesotans, James J. Hill, the Mayo Brothers, Lucius Ordway, Governor Harold Stassen. They were all active Masons, not to mention George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Paul Revere. There's a whole list I could go on, but I only have to get to 5960. So I invite you to learn more about Minnesota Masonic Charities at mnmasoniccharities.org. 5960. Not a Garage Logic Town Council member. Here's what you're missing. It's Grant's birthday, so we need to wish Grant a birthday. Who's Happy that? birthday. Grant produces Lori and Julia down the hall. I don't know Grant. Grant is the kid. And I don't give a that it's his birthday. <laughs> yeah, why, why do I have to do that? Well, no, Rocco's is putting it, together yeah. something. Tell Grant <laughs> to kiss my big fat butt. That's his birthday wish. Grant, I, kiss uh, it. Hey, Grant, if I knew who you were, I'd wish you a happy birthday. Grant had you sign that really cool microphone. BFD. <laughs> Grant's, okay. Grant's a Grant good, good fella. Grant's one of the nicest kids That's in the building. He really is, and he's a That's huge why I don't fan like of you, Grant. You're way too nice. Go behind the scenes of Garage Logic with unfiltered audio and video access, invites to exclusive events, an emailed newsletter from the mayor himself, and more by signing up at garagelogic.com. It is, and thanks to our friends at North American Banking Company for sponsoring John Heights Newscast, even though John's not here today to do a newscast, they would have sponsored it. Uh, and North American Banking Company is locally owned and operated and here to take care of all of you GLers. I made the switch a few months ago. You should, too. North American Banking Company has been operating since 1998, and when they opened, they made a promise to deliver a better banking experience for their customers, where you know your banker, and they know you. And while a lot has changed since then, this commitment has not. And they also get that there's no shortage of banking options in the Twin Cities. So if you're tired of just being a number to your big national bank, then be sure to check out my friends at North American Banking Company. They offer the same online and mobile banking options as the other banks, but with the unparalleled service of a community bank. So... 
Check out their website today, nabankco.com. That's nabankco.com to learn more. North American Banking Company member FDIC is an equal housing lender. Joe? Rabbi Michael Barkley said that even Ilhan Omar has changed her tune about the bombing of the hospital in Gaza. Can you find that tweet, Rook? Uh, I have a I have the quote from MSN.com. Yeah, our office cited an AP report yesterday that the IDF had hit a Baptist hospital in Gaza. Omar wrote Wednesday night. Since then, the IDF denied responsibility, and the U.S. intelligence assessment is that this was not done by Israel. It is a reminder that information is often unreliable and disputed in the fog of war, especially on Twitter where misinformation is rampant. We all have the responsibility to ensure information we are sharing is from credible sources and to acknowledge as new reports come in. What's missing from that? Her own her own complicity, uh, her apology. own admission. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a fact based thing. And I don't. That's think, a CYA deal. Yes, oh, 100 percent. And yeah. I don't think that is the New York Times getting enough heat for what they did. I hope so, but okay. they won't. They won't. Only because they come to us all the way from Ecuador, where the traveling Lymans are just shuffling about Santa Cruz. Espanola, Galapagos Islands, various bays and points. Love it. Isn't it something? Yeah, that's fun. On this day... Joe, today is October 20th. In 1818, the northern boundary of the U.S. was set at the 49th parallel. And then the printer cuts it off, so I can't read the rest of it. <laughs> in uh, I, I don't know why uh, Tom is sending me... Uh, it never used to cut off. I don't know what why the format has changed. On this day in 1849. 10-20. Maybe, maybe the uh, computer he's using at the public library yeah. is... Uh, the Minnesota Historical Society was incorporated by by an act of the territorial legislature. Hmm. On this day, 1896. October 20th? Daily mail delivery began in Cannon City. Did and on know? this day in 1937, this day... The brothel of St. Paul's most famous madam, Nina Clifford, was demolished after 50 years of business. Wow. Did you know that? No, I didn't know yeah. that. Wait, we had a most famous? Oh, so yeah. there was like oh, a power rankings the, yeah. of madam. the one where they moved the house? Well, this was, I thought this one was connected to the Minnesota Club, and you took a tunnel to get to it. And oh, secret holy. knock? Yeah, secret okay. deal. In the movie, uh, I'm sorry, on this day. He says it as if, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's what it is. Yeah, you know. <laughs> You go into the tunnel? Oh, yeah. Did I say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it well. Do it well, kids. Yeah. You just know you had to take a left. Till they took her down. If you see the light, you got to go left. Mm -hmm. On this day, October 20th, in 1995, the movie Mall Rats opened. It was filmed in Eden Prairie. And uh, it developed a cult following. Kevin, G- what was his name? Kevin, somebody. The Smith. printer cut Kevin that Smith. off. Cut that off. There. That's a great movie. On I love Mall Rats. History. I don't know that I've seen it. Oh yeah. Thank Come you, on. thank what? you, GLers. Always be aware of your surroundings. And part of your surroundings should be Garage Logic on YouTube. You can subscribe for free. And I did see that many of you did subscribe for free and are poking around at some of the videos we have. Great material, and it uh, again is just sitting there for you at YouTube. Subscribe to Garage Logic. You can also subscribe to the Town Council, Garage Logic Town Council. That's when you're privy to what we do prior to the show, during the breaks, and post show. 
It only costs 10 bucks a month or $100 for the entire year. And you're entertained. It's very cheap entertainment. Check it out at garagelogic.com. Or you can submit your uh, jokes yes. for the next appearance of the rabbi. Yes, we like Catholic jokes, Jewish jokes, all <laughs> jokes. Uh, this is no joke. We got some garb for you at garagelogic.com, and it's for sale right now. Thank you for that, John.